Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Draft Site 30th Podcast. And today is a special one because we are going to recap the 2015 NFL Draft, which is now over. That's our bread and butter all year. We've been talking about it through probably about 28 of these podcasts. And we couldn't wait for this weekend. Now we can't wait to talk about it. I'm joined today by DJ and Zach. You want to say hello, guys? Hello, hello, hello. Hopefully we're following uh, the mock. We were smoking it, especially in the middle of that first round. We were knocking them off one by one. It was impressive. Yeah, DJ, that was amazing. I was looking at uh, your final mock draft, and, uh, I mean, you should have you entered that in some sort of uh, – like a betting pool, because it was impressive. Proof that this is the only website people should be consulting before the draft. It should be. Thank you for your kind words, but it was... Uh, they're not kind, they're honest. The, the, the final mock speaks for itself. Well, hopefully a lot of people entered a million-dollar draft on our site. Hopefully we had some big winners come from uh, from draft site. Hopefully a lot of people want some money out there. I hope so, too. I don't think there were any millionaires, but there's probably a few people who won a couple thousand dollars, so good for them. So... I want to begin by giving us each first a chance to get our favorite teams out of the way because, Zach, I know you're dying to talk about the Steelers. DJ, you probably want to talk about the Eagles, and I don't mind talking about the Giants. So why don't we start with that? Zach, tell us how you think the Pittsburgh Steelers did your favorite team on this draft night. I can't think of any draft since I've started watching the draft, and this has been since the start of the Cowher administration, where I have loved the picks that the Steelers have made as much as I did this year. I, I wanted Senquez Golston about as badly as I wanted any other prospect in the draft. I thought he was a perfect fit for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, the fact that Bud Dupree, somebody that I know that I sat down with you, Jared, and we watched film of Bud Dupree, and I said that I liked him more than Randy Gregory, and that I, it was a pipe dream, but I hoped the Steelers could somehow secure him. The fact that they get him, and then they get Sammy Coates in the third round, three proven SEC players right off the bat, but then if, if you go throughout their entire draft, I mean, they didn't have a single miss in my mind. I know that, uh, DJ, you like Jesse James. You were talking about him maybe being a third-round pick if he were to come out next year. I thought it would have been between him and Tyler Croft of Rutgers uh, possibly being the best tight ends that they waited a year. So absolutely great value. And then uh, uh, Anthony Chiquillo, uh, he's, if I'm saying that right, I am, I've watched a lot of film on him. He's a quintessential Pittsburgh Steeler, high-motor guy. He could play the five technique. And then the fact that Holloman was still around in the seventh round like blew my mind. But uh, the fact that they got three people in the secondary, and I, I thought if they didn't address cornerback in the first two rounds, I was going to be upset. No matter what two picks they got, even if they were, uh, even if they got somebody like Randy Gregory in the second round, because you know he's so supremely talented. But they needed a cornerback, and the fact that they got Golson and Grant, I can't be any happier. I was just going to say I want to echo its sentiments. I think the fact that we saw the Ravens intentionally go in front of them to take Max Williams, but they still get a very good tight end in Jesse James. They, you know, the Steelers, they normally don't move up, but I think there were two players they would have considered moving up for, and that was Kevin Johnson, who went at 16, and Bud Dupree, and the fact that they don't make a move and he falls right in their laps, Steelers have to be absolutely happy. A lot of good fits. But I I think one of my favorites was um, Latarius Walton, the the, uh, defensive tackle out of Central Michigan, was kind of a, a late bloomer. I think he could be a good pick, and I really think the Amy Coates' pick is as much a good pick as it is kind of a message to Antonio Brown as to uh, you better get in here because we make wide receivers work in the system. So I think that was kind of a message sender as well. Uh, Antonio Brown does have a point, though. The only one you didn't mention was Doran Grant from Ohio State. I know uh, you probably watched him closely. No, I did. I did. I mentioned him. I said Grant from Ohio State. I was very, very happy. This is a guy that has a lot of versatility in the secondary. A lot of people were looking him uh, looking at him to play safety, the Steelers, he's perfect for the Steelers at corner. He's going to step in right away and get some serious PT, and the same with Golson. So I'm incredibly happy that they secured two very quality cornerbacks in the first four rounds. Yeah, and with Bud Dupree, at one point you had, you had thought there was a chance he could go top ten, so the fact that he fell to you at 22 just shows the value that, uh, you know, uh, at least if you if you recall, if you recall, like two months ago, I made you sit down and watch me and you watch Dupree versus uh, Randy Gregory highlights, and this is when Randy Gregory was top five on everyone's mock draft, and I said this kid has had seven sacks three straight years in the SEC with absolutely no help whatsoever. He's a 42 inch vertical leap, and he's 270 pounds. 
I mean, he's a, he's a no-brainer for me if, if he can be coached up. And I think he can be coached up. And I think having Jarvis Jones be such a supreme disappointment, it was absolutely necessary after cornerback to address the pass rushing situation because James Harrison definitely isn't getting any younger. And uh, Jarvis Jones stopped. He blocked me on Instagram because I've been trying to light a fire under his ass, and I hope it works. I, I really do. But he is just – he is doing nothing. He's disappearing on the field. Well, we'll see. It probably will light a fire under him, and he's a fiery guy, so. I doubt it. Every picture's uh, from the couch with him. All right. Well, time will tell. So, DJ, let's move on to your Philadelphia Eagles here. What do you think about their draft? One of the best drafts I can remember. The fact that they don't get that deal done is great. Now, a lot of fans were disappointed, and my message to you is why? Why would you give up? And the Eagles were even talking to Tampa Bay about trading Two first-round picks, two second-round picks, Fletcher Cox, Michael Kendricks, Brandon Boykin, for a man who's never taken a snap. It's utterly ridiculous if a deal like that would have went down. So kudos for standing your ground. They did get uh, Nelson Aguilar. I know, uh, I know Zach was very high on him. It seemed to be a good fit with the Eagles. And the, kind of the funny part was a couple of radio shows I had done leading up to the draft, I got to ask comparisons, and with Nelson Aguilar, it's like he's he's Jeremy Macklin. Uh, the, the similarities watching him on tape and the measurables, it's it's, it's kind of scary. So uh, Eagles kind of get uh, the, the replacement for the person that walked. Uh, Eric Rowe was a guy they had targeted all along. Jordan Hicks in the third round, good player, but I think that, that kind of signals possibly that uh, Michael Kendricks is still in the market, kind of the same player there. If he's able to still help, stay healthy, it's a good pick. But as you know, I've been talking about Ja'Cory Shepard as one of the steals in this draft, especially a corner, and the Eagles hit him in the sixth round. That was an absolute, absolute steal. So uh, they had some good players, and I do like the fact another lineman I'd given a, a fourth or fifth grade, uh, uh, fourth or fifth round grade to was Brett Boyko, the big offensive tackle out of UNLV. And he actually went undrafted. The Eagles got him. I think he was scared because a lot of um, – Played at UNLV, but he's Canadian, and he's expected to be the first overall pick in the Canadian draft. And I think that was scaring some teams away. So the Eagles take a chance on him now. And if uh, you know he chooses to play with the Eagles, he can actually still go in the draft. Uh, if he chooses to play with the Eagles, the Eagles get an absolute steal and get a guy with fourth or fifth round value that you know goes undrafted because I think a lot of teams were, were expecting him to go to Canada if he's going to be the top overall pick. But you know when he's an undrafted free agent, it's a, a good chance to take. Looking at the rest of their picks, what do you think about guys like Brian Mikulik, the defensive end from Boston College? I think the Eagles are going to try and put some weight on him, but, I mean, you're talking about a guy who obviously he's got some holes in his game, fairly inconsistent, but in the seventh round it's not bad to take a six foot nine, 285-pound defensive end. And they're talking about, you know, possibly even putting some weight on him. It's really, it's really a tall guy to put in the middle of your defense, but in that 3-4, and even having played about 3, 3-10, and, of course, a guy that size blocked seven kicks at the NCAA level. So, so we still have a guy six foot nine with a large wingspan to bring in and possibly block a field goal or two and really help your special teams unit, an area where the Eagles excelled last year. Talking about another team in that same division, I'll take the, the Giants here. Uh, I, I thought they had a great draft. I always think they have a great draft because they tend to draft productive players in college who can be leaders. But I think, you know, they are flowers. Um, I think he's a great fit for that offense. He can kind of shift around if they need it from left to right side, but I think, you know, eventually they might they might have found their left tackle. Uh, Landon Collins is a great replacement for Antrell Roll. Uh, Landon Collins easily could have been a first-rounder. I don't know if I, you know, that was the first time in a long time I've seen the Giants actually trade up to get a pick, if I can remember. Um, but, yeah, I think he's, he's great there. And then... Uh, Awamabe Adigizua. Adigizua. There we go. You've been practicing. I have been practicing. (laughs) Defensive end from UCLA, I think that was a typical Giants pick. That defensive line, I think they need some extra depth there. they got a very productive player. I liked it. Uh, Their next three picks, Michael Thompson, uh, I I didn't love. He's not my favorite safety in the draft. And, frankly, there were some safeties I liked more than him that went a little later. Holloman to be to name one. Deron Smith from uh, Fresno State is another. Jeremy Davis is very productive at uh, UConn. 
I think time will tell with him. He's a little raw. But uh, and Bobby Hart, offensive guard from Florida State, I don't know. I, I like the other guards a little better, but, you know, I guess he went to Florida State. And, DJ, you could probably tell me more about him. But I, I thought overall I liked the Giants draft. What do you guys think? I didn't really like the Flowers pick. I thought they, uh, they were really trying to fill a need right there really, really badly, and uh, that's why they took Flowers. And I thought they were they were just – probably praying that Trey fell to them, and that wasn't the case. And so I think they think that they're ready to compete for the NFCs, which I believe that they are ready to compete for the NFCs. So they picked a player that could plug a hole immediately, and uh, that's why they got Flowers. But to me, Flowers is definitely not a top-ten pick. And it's not because I'm against drafting offensive linemen that aren't you know, sexy in the first round. I just thought there's so many better players that they could have got. i got to like the Flowers pick a little bit just because I said that was the direction the Giants would go. Uh, he was a player that they really seemed to like. I thought he'd be the first, possibly the first offensive uh, tackle off the board. He ended up being second, but right where we had him slotted at number nine. Just got to refine his technique. When it comes to sheer strength, there's not a, there's not a uh, offensive lineman uh, with more strength in this draft than uh, Eric Flowers. So as long as he's able to defi- uh, refine the rest of his game, I think it's a, it's a pretty good pick. But th- there's a little bit of a risk involved there. He really seemed to kind of clean up his uh, choppy footwork uh, in his last year at, at Florida, so at uh, Miami of Florida, so I think that should work out. And uh, what I got from the Giants were really that it was not a question of if they were going to trade up, it was who they were going to take. Now, the Giants were actually kind of divided. The information I got was they were moving up. The question was, was it Landon Collins or Eric Kendrick? Both were on the radar, and the, at one point the room was a little bit split, but Landon Collins, I think, made better sense, although Kendrick slips all the way to 45, and one of my draft winners is actually Minnesota. I think Minnesota did a great job of the fact that they land him and Trey Waynes in the first two rounds. Two defenders that I think can come in right away. You pair them with Anthony Barry they got last year. Great draft from the Minnesota Vikings. To me, they were they were probably one of my top five teams. Minnesota did an excellent job. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Getting Daniil Hunter in the third round and Stephon Diggs, a guy I've been watching since high school, the uh, wide receiver. I think that's another great late-round pick. Austin Shepard, the offensive tackle out of Alabama, I, I think he could be very productive there, and, and they're not going to need him right away. But, yeah, I, uh, I was a big fan of Minnesota's draft, and, and they had a lot of picks. So if we weren't big fans, then they really fell. But uh, they did a good job, I think. What other teams did you think had great drafts? Uh, I thought the New York Jets had an outstanding draft. I think it would be very tempting to uh, not take Leonard Williams when he fell six, but to draft the best player available to win, and that's something that they they normally don't have, and they had it. And then to get Devin Smith in the second round, I thought that was a, a really excellent move because I think he's going to be better off in the slot, and I think when you have somebody to stretch the field on the outside, to grab Petty in the fourth round I thought was one of the better picks in the draft because I really like Petty, and I really like him coming into a position where – you don't have to play him, but he can compete for the starting job. And I, I, I see him as being a very, very adequate, if not a you know, potential starter for the Jets. Yeah, I like the Jets draft. I, I, I thought um, Jarvis Harrison, the, the guard out of Texas A&M, I like that pick in the fifth round, too. I think they played this draft very well. Leonard Williams, I don't know how it's going to fit in, but as uh, DJ, I think you said, you know, obviously the contract along the line with um, – Wilkerson is, is probably in question, and um, I don't know. It would be interesting to see if they can move one of those guys to tackle, although they like the tackle they have. So, you know, maybe they'll move to a 4-3 front, but uh, at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think in a, in a league where there's so much washout with these draft picks, you got to go best player available because, you know, you, you just you have no idea – how these draft prospects are going to turn out at the end of the day. A couple and a, and a couple teams also that I really liked. One, I don't think enough people are talking about the Atlanta Falcons. I think they do a great job getting Vic Beasley at number eight, uh, who I have as the number two guy on the board altogether. I think he has to play the run a little bit tougher. Uh, had kind of a down senior year compared to maybe his junior year where he thought maybe he could have come out. But to still get him at, at number eight, and I think one of the better picks in the third round, Kevin Coleman in round three, he's a perfect fit for Atlanta. Might not have been my favorite back, but the, uh, the type of uh, spread running scheme that he ran at Indi- Indiana is almost a, it's almost a mirror image of what happens in Atlanta. You pair him with Devontae Freeman, who I think is a very good running back Atlanta got last year, but maybe not a three-down guy. He's got a very good two-headed monster going on there in Atlanta that 
to be good for a couple years to come. And also, i got to give it up for the hometown of the Bears. I think they, they did a great job. The fact that they do go after the wide receiver, they get Kevin White in round one, and then they're still able to land Eddie Goldman in round two. And they're reshaping that defense. There was some talk, you know, do they take Danny Shelton? Do they go and kind of repair and get that receiver? Well, they get the receiver, and then, you know, the next best guy, that they probably the best guy on the board at that point at 39, Eddie Goldman, who is really a first-round value, so got to give it up for the Bears, and also i got to give a, a shout-out. As we're seeing Carden went as an undrafted free agent, because only seven quarterbacks were drafted. That's the lowest amount since 1996. So there's a lot of very good quarterbacks who didn't hear their names called at all, and I think, uh, especially Brandon Bridge in Dallas, I think he's got a chance there where, you know, Tony Romo went undrafted, and, and look, look where he is now. And with everything going on in Chicago with Jay Cutler, it's a good situation for Shane Carden to walk into. There's a couple of Again, very good quarterbacks. Just because they went undrafted, don't think they're not going to be able to possibly play their way uh, and see some playing time in the next couple of years because uh, there's some good fits there. And, again, only seven going, a lot less than, than many of us thought. Um, we got some pretty good uh, intel on some of the corners. Uh, one, of the, one of the picks as well with Marcus Peters going to Kansas City, you know, a lot of people thinking that they would need a wide receiver, and, of course, they do. They, they can't put that all on Jeremy Macklin. And, the, you know, so much has been made of the fact that no touchdowns at wide receiver no team put in more work as far as investigating the background than the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid went to his hometown to do interviews. Andy Reid never did anything like that in Philadelphia. And to me, I thought this was going to be an interesting pick because it really kind of showed, okay, does Andy Reid have as much cloud with his organization as he was, quote, promised? There's been some varying reports about how much control he actually has and the fact that he was able to get Marcus Peters after I said that, you know, they – that's a pick he really, really wanted. I think it shows that Andy Reid does have the pull that he's been seeing in that organization. I think they walk away with maybe the first-round steal. It, it, it turns out that uh, the, the play really matches what we saw on tape and the fact that he's not going to clash with coaches. That, that could be one of the first-round steals as well. Uh, I'm just going to jump on that Peters bandwagon real quick because I thought that was an, an excellent pick. And I, I was hoping that uh, even though I love Bud Duke, they would not have been upset if Peters fell to Pittsburgh and they got him. That's how badly uh, – I wanted, uh, you know, a cornerback. But uh, Shaq Thompson in the first round, I love Shaq Thompson. And I thought Shaq Thompson was way too low on people's boards. But the fact that he won the first round, Lake and Tomlinson in the first round, but if you value a guard and you need a guard and you're a, a few pieces away from being a very quality football team, uh, you know, you go with that position. I thought Philip Dorsett, it's a little redundant. He's very similar to, to T.Y. Hilton, but that's somebody that uh, – luck likes throwing to, like those small targets where you can throw to an open spot and they go get it. In the, in the first round, maybe Byron Jones. I did, I'm not that high on Byron Jones. I think if it wasn't for that broad jump, if you take that broad jump out, I know he was a captain on UConn, and I know he, he was very productive, and from the moment he came to UConn, they were trying to put him on the field. But he's, I didn't think he was a first-round first quality. And then T.J. Yeldon early in the second round. I like T.J. Yeldon. I was surprised that he was very, very low on other people's boards, but I thought that was very, very high for him to go. I would have never guessed him going in the, uh, you know, whatever pick he did. I think he went like 36. DJ, what about you? What were some of the other surprises for you? Well, I wasn't a fan, really, with Lakin Thomas in the first round either, but it, it became clear that Detroit really had a plan. The fact that they're able to move back five spots, they get Manny Ramirez. So really that is kind of a two-for-one. Once they actually have two linemen there, you kind of got to figure, okay, they're going for that running back. I think we all thought, it was going to be round two or round three. And sure enough, round two, they go out and get Amir Abdullah. So I think the writing was on the wall when the lines were really focusing on the offensive line that a, that a running back was coming. So, I mean, good pick for them. Again, the big question is going to be the fumbles, 13 fumbles at Nebraska, as long as they're able to hold on to the football. Uh, pretty good pass, re- pass receiver. And even though he's small, he's not a bad blocker. He just wasn't really asked to do it a lot, but, you know, I really think uh, he was a pretty good blocker, and I said all along, Kenny Bell, to me, was the best blocking wide receiver in the draft, and I thought he could go a lot higher. He did. He kind of went in the mid-rounds, but when you watch him on tape and his route running and his receptions, wildly inconsistent, and a guy that I don't think Merrick's going that high if it weren't for his blocking ability. So uh, I think the, kind of the running was on the wall there. But I was a little bit surprised with J.I. because I know that the, the medical reports were out because of the very serious knee injury suffered uh, as a freshman, but apparently there's a lot of info saying that they don't think that structurally the knee will hold up. And I thought it was enough to take him off a few draft boards, but I still thought he was going to be a guy who was probably going to go by the round two, maybe early round three. 
he winds up going a lot later. And I, I guess that injury just scared more teams than what I thought, and I think it's, it's excellent value. Uh, he goes to the Dolphins uh, much, much later. So uh, to a team that uh, I think he can make an immediate impact, they really don't have a, quote, number one runner there. So it turns out to be a good situation. But I was surprised it kind of lasted so long. Michael Bennett as well. Uh, when Michael Bennett kept flipping, goes into the sixth round, I kept looking to see if there were any medical red flags. I was trying to call all kinds of people. I wasn't coming up with anything. I can't understand how Michael Bennett lasted that long. Uh, even though he's undersized, he's not bad against the run. Seems to be a high-quality high quality guy, really nothing bad to say about him. I mean, there were a couple maybe inconsistent games, but down the stretch, you know, the last three games of the year, Michael Bennett, even if it wasn't in the stat line, he controlled and he made all his assignments and he, you know, he stuck to his lanes and he did everything he was supposed to do. So for, for me, I was just shocked. Uh, I, believe he, I believe it was Johnsonville that he went to uh, sixth round. I mean, it was very, very late. I was, I was, I, I think the player that shocked me more Michael Bennett was Michael Bennett. Can't believe he was still on the board at that point. Michael Bennett is surprising to me too. You know, obviously, you know that I love Michael Bennett. So uh, I'm, this was a guy that I thought a lot of people would have going in the second or third round. So if you would have told me that he would have gone in the sixth round, I would have been shocked. Yeah, my final mock, I had him as the very first pick for the Seahawks when they came on the board at 63. I thought they would make a splash and, and try and get a really good player, and I thought that had been excellent value. So I, I was just uh, – that was one where my mouth was probably wide open. Him and a, him and a Jaya were probably – that, that probably surprised me the most. First things first, I love Tyler Lockett to the Seattle Seahawks. I've, I'm sure I said it on one of these podcasts, you can go back, that he's Golden Tate 2.0. I think that was one of the best picks of the whole draft. I thought the Seahawks were going to potentially target him with their first pick. Uh, and also, I didn't mention this earlier, but I loved the San Diego Chargers draft, especially the first two rounds. To get Melvin Gordon, to trade up and secure Melvin Gordon, is, this is a player that I thought the Giants should have considered. Uh, I thought the Falcons should have considered. He's, he's ready to be an, an NFL pro bowler and be a feature back. And then to get Denzel Perryman in the second round. These are two guys that are going to start right away, and they're going to be very, very good for San Diego. And I'd say the one thing I want to add, the, the, the other surprising fact is I had, uh, for people who were following along when I was blogging, I had said in pick number 10 that we thought a, tra- a trade was in the works. The Dolphins were trying to trade with the Rams, and they had targeted Todd Gurley. And we got word that, that the pick was for, obviously, the Rams would have slid from 10 to 14. So they moved back four spots. They would have acquired a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick. And the Rams liked Gurley that much to make the selection. I, we couldn't understand at first why the Rams weren't taking that. We're like, there's multiple players the Rams should want here. And anyone reading the blogs would know, I'm like, why aren't the Rams making this deal? Well, then it became apparent they were actually targeting Gurley themselves. So I had not heard anything about the Rams trying to go after him, or maybe there was some thoughts that maybe with the Adrian Peterson situation, maybe they were afraid that maybe the, the Vikings would go in that direction instead of Trey Waynes. That actually shocked me when I saw what the Dolphins offering to move up to number 10. Think, you know, the Dolphins get a, a Jai late, and then, you know, they stay, stand top at 14 and they take the guy who's really number two on their board, which was Devontae Parker. So it kind of worked out for both teams. Zach, which teams had the worst draft? I mean, if you're going to talk about actual players, um, I mean, there's some teams that just didn't have that many picks. The Bills, I would just throw them in the worst draft category because how much they gave up last year to get Sammy Watkins when they could have got it still and got Odell Beckham, I know, right? Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, I didn't really like the Jaguars draft. Uh, I, I like Dante Fowler, and I see the comparisons to, to Justin Houston that a lot of people are saying, but I still I think they should have traded down. I, I, maybe they couldn't have. Uh, and I really didn't like the 49ers draft. I know people like Tart, and he's a huge, huge safety, and they can coach him up, and uh, Armstead is a physical freak, too, but I just I didn't like anything about the 49ers draft. I don't, I don't think any of those players are going to play this year, and uh, it's not saying that they won't play in the future. The 49ers are great at developing talent, but these are uh, guys that I'm not sure will ever really be real impact players for them. Well, the one team, are, I agree, I, I didn't really like the 49ers, and I like Clark. We did um, call him as being the top non-FBS player off the board. Had him actually as the first pick in the third round in Tampa. And he went in the middle of the second round. Camp actually takes Ali, uh, Ali Marpet at uh, 61, again, the highest Division three player since Chris Ward in 94, 61. And first off, 
kudos, i got to say real quick, kudos to the Buccaneers. You make a pick like Winston, and then you give him two very good uh, two very good linemen with the next two picks. I think that, uh, that had to make Winston very happy. But I was very surprised that the New Orleans Saints, especially with two picks, I thought they would do more. Uh, Anders Pete, a little bit of a reach. I was a little bit surprised. Especially, I thought that was going to be the landing point for Bud Dupree. I had Bud Dupree to the Falcons, and when Dick Beasley was there, they, they went there, and uh, I really mm-hmm. thought – uh, the Saints and, and Bud Dupree would have been the great a great match, and then you know to go Andrews Pete, I was I was very surprised, and you know Dupree slides all the way down to the Steelers, which is just an absolute steal for them. And then at the end of round one for uh, Stephon Anthony out of Clemson, who you know was climbing a lot of boards, but at the end of the first round again, just absolutely shocked with the the players that were still there. I actually had Eli Harold, another guy who fell in this draft all the way to the third round, actually had him at the end of round one. The Saints really looked like they liked him. They, they had him in at the complex or at, and talked to him at four different occasions. There was definitely a, an attraction there, and that's, that would have been a, a perfect, uh, perfect marriage. So especially you don't say that a loser with two picks in the first round, but I was very surprised that's where the Saints went. They had two chances, and I think they whiffed on them both. And also very, to me, just one other team i got to mention, uh, very rare, I guess you would say, to when you have a team picking at 32, you're the defending camps. And once Malcolm Brown started sliding, I just said, you know what, Malcolm Brown, I started tweeting it, Malcolm Brown's going to go to the Patriots because that's what the Patriots do. That's why they're a winning organization. He's the perfect, perfect fit to replace Vince Wilfork, and that's what happened. They're in there at 32, and they get an absolute perfect replacement. That's why the Patriots are the Patriots. That was just an even though they picked the 32, to me, that was one of the best picks in the first round. So kudos to New England. Yeah, they had some good picks, too, with uh, getting Trey Jackson late, who, you know, if he w- had went in the first few rounds, I don't think people would have complained. Shaq Mason's a pretty good center. Second and third round picks, Geno Grissom, uh, was maybe questionable. Jordan Richard seems like the typical New England-type player, but a couple teams that I thought didn't have a great draft that I didn't like really were Arizona. Uh, I didn't like that D.J. Humphreys pick, even though he's your namesake, D.J. Marcus Golden, I thought oh. was a little overrated. David Johnson, I like. But other than that, I, I think they were kind of pedestrian. And same with uh, Indianapolis. I, I really don't see many of their picks having a huge impact. I, I, I think it was kind of a waste of a draft for both of those teams. I think they'll get maybe one you know, one starter out of it, which which actually is pretty good. I at least want to go in with the feeling that, hey, they have two or three guys who could at least, you know, potentially start in the next few years. So I'll take DJ Humphreys right now over Eric Flowers. I don't, I don't think the Cardinals had the worst draft, but to me it was one of the most disappointing because I think if you look back, and I had to say over the last five years, as far as consistency, who do I think's done the best in the draft the last five years? I think it's been Arizona. They've had some wonderful drafts. But to me, Humphreys and Tyson Brelo, another guy that I really like, I think they both have potential. But to me, you know, it's not always about strength, but these are two guys that just do not have NFL bodies. They are going to get pushed around. They definitely need to hit the weight room. Both of those players, they offer promise. Humphreys really improved his footwork once they settled him in at one spot there at Florida. But he just does not have the upper body. And, and Tyson Brelo, same guy who really made a lot of strides, but those guys are just getting pushed around left and right. And I don't want to make too much of the fact that you have to be so strong to be a tackle. There's definitely some tacticians out there. But those guys really, really got to they, – they just seem to be a year away. They're just not NFL ready. They are just not strong enough. But I like the David Johnson pick. You're talking about a guy who was started as a wide receiver. They bring him in at running back, and I think he's big enough to be an H-back type and, you know, a guy who's probably the best receiving running back in this draft. So I think that's uh, kind of a nice – nice quandary for Arizona to have. I think that's a, that's a very good player for them, but that was about it. Uh, Arizona, to me, again, there were teams that did worse, but since their quality's been so high the last five years, they, they really kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. I was very disappointed with Arizona. DJ, I think one of the disappointments in this draft, well, actually not for us, but for the players, were some of the sophomores that came out. I think, you know, there were guys like Jordan Phillips, and say even Max Williams, who thought they'd go in the first round, they end up falling into the 50s. And then after that, a lot of the a lot of the uh, guys with a couple years of eligibility end up not going until maybe it was the sixth round, where you had Max Ellis and um, Darius Fillin, and one guy my I guy, know you love. my guy Jacoby Glenn. 
I got Jacoby Glenn. I think went round four. It was drafted. Oh, it was. Uh, I just can't. I'm, I just can't believe it. Unreal. And this is a guy that you thought might be the best quarterback in the draft. What happened to him? I, I, you know, teams are really valuing speed. I'm, I'm really disappointed there. I don't know if there's anything else to it. I thought it was going to be between him and Quentin Rollins, who ended up going at the end of round two. I believe uh, he ended up getting grabbed by Green Bay, which is a good value pick because Green Bay has a better secondary than a lot of people give them credit for. But, uh, you know, they don't really have a lot of the breakout stars. There's just there's a lot of depth there. I feel like Rollins only really had the one year of uh, experience there at corner, I think that he can uh, he can really kind of come in and, and, you know, they can really take his time with him and develop him, and possibly maybe he's that breakout star in a couple of years. I think that was good. Uh, yeah, you're talking about a guy in England who was the, you know, defensive player of the year in his conference. I had an excellent season and uh, finished second uh, at the FBS level and passed his defense, had seven interceptions. I mean, he was just active. It just seemed like he didn't have as many chances as some of the others, but I almost had to check his hands for stick-em because whenever he was around a ball, it, it just seems like the ball just sticks to the guy. But, again, the, the speed numbers, he couldn't get under four sticks at the combine or at his pro day, and that really, really hurt him. So hopefully that's a lesson for a lot of these players, just because you're dominant at, at, your, at your level and you might only be a sophomore or junior doesn't mean it's going to translate because that's – hopefully they do that at the rookie symposium, lessons learned. There were a couple of players who came away very, very disappointed. Well, the good thing about Jacoby Glenn is he went to a Chicago team that didn't draft a cornerback and certainly could use some depth there. So I think he'll have every opportunity to actually make an impact on that roster. Like my man Shane Carden. Uh, good, good job to the Bears. Yeah, so what happened to Shane Carden? I mean, you were a big fan. I, 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 you know, I trust your evaluation of these players, but he didn't get drafted at all. Was that a product of quarterbacks just not being taken that that? often in this draft, or was it something about Cardin that people just didn't like? No, he, he got it. There was a lot of interest. He was a guy who was getting calls from a lot of teams. I really thought that it looked like Indianapolis was going to take him late, and then Indianapolis doesn't make a selection, and they take another guy we thought would get drafted. Uh, Brian Bennett ends up sending as an under, uh, signing as an undrafted free agent. So it just did have a lot to do with the fact that only seven quarterbacks went, and at a position where we see these, uh, these picks overvalued, 1996 was the last time we saw only seven quarterbacks get drafted. That's before I, I started started in the business per se. So obviously it's the least quarterback heavy draft I've ever seen. Even we haven't even talked about Brett Hundley yet, and the fact that he slips all the way to round five and is going to be able to sit behind a player like like Aaron Rodgers. You got to be disappointed you're in the fifth round, but at the same time, I hope Brett Hundley realizes the opportunity he's going to have. He's going to be you know learning behind one of the best or the best. You know, it was a luxury that Aaron, Aaron Rodgers really had because, you know, Brett, Brett Favre was at the tail end, but he was still a very productive quarterback at, at the time when the, the Packers took him. But he was able to soak it up for a few years. And the good thing was he was very injury-prone. He looked good early, but he, he suffered a lot of injuries. So I think that was going to be the knock. Now, he's had some injuries, but not to the point where he's really fragile. He's just had a couple of bad breaks, no pun intended. But uh, you got you got to like the the – situation that Cardin's walking into, but a lot of very good quarterbacks. Jerry Lovelock, another good quarterback I like. Brandon Bridge was a guy, they thought he was going to be the highest Canadian quarterback ever drafted, and uh, that didn't happen once he went past uh, 125. As your New York Giants still hold that record with Jesse Palmer at 124 overall the year he was drafted. So, again, just a number of Blake Sims we thought maybe, you know, out of Alabama, maybe there's a team that takes a, a flyer on him late in this draft. There were there were definitely some big name quarterbacks who didn't last long. They were among one of the uh, the first signees once the uh, market kind of opened for undrafted free agents. Quarterbacks were going pretty quick. Were you surprised that Philadelphia didn't sign Brian Bennett? Uh, Philadelphia didn't have a chance. I don't know if they I don't know if they were that serious about making an offer, but Brian Bennett was literally signed about 20 minutes within 20 minutes. Uh, it was very very quick. Again. I thought Indy was going to be the team where Cardin would end up. Indy was very active. They were looking for quarterbacks. I think maybe looking for a long-term backup solution. It looked like they went toward Bennett um, before Cardin or like a Brandon Bridge. He wasn't as high on Brandon Bridge, but he seemed to get a, a lot of a lot of attention. I uh, thought Buffalo was going to be a team that maybe took him late, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Philadelphia made a play for Bennett, but I know he was among one of the first players signed, and Indianapolis snapped him up very very fast. 
Gary Nova is a guy who I'm sure a lot of Rutgers fans are polarized about their opinion on him, but he got signed by the hometown or the local New York Giants. Do you think he's got any chance at that roster? I'm not sure. I think he's, to me, I think he's probably a practice squad player. I'm, I'm, I don't think he's going to make the active uh, roster. But, again, mechanic-wise, he's got it all. He doesn't have a lot of height. Arm's pretty good. He's got decent mobility, even though you know, he didn't run for a ton of yards. Uh, he, he had a pretty good senior year. I think decision-making and sometimes just trying to force the ball into that tight window was a problem uh, at times. But when you look at it from a mechanic standpoint, he's right up there. And also, kudos, I want to say, one of the, the top uh, quarterbacks that we saw get drafted, Sean Mannion, to me, even though he had a down senior year, if I look at all the quarterbacks, even from a mechanic standpoint, he is the best in this draft. I don't think he's got everything overall, but if you just watch his drop back, his progression, and just the way where he holds the ball, and, and just from a mechanic standpoint, if you were to put maybe the top ten quarterbacks on, you didn't know who they were, didn't have any names, and just had picked the best one, to me it's Sean Mannion. So I'm glad that he did go so high, even the fact that he had kind of a down senior year. I uh, had him projected as a second-round pick when the season began. He ends up going around later. So, you know, good for me. I, I think that and a guy six foot five seems like a prototypical NFL size. So he might be the guy that surprises him maybe in a couple of years if he can't yeah, in this league. TJ, let's talk about a topic that no one actually gives a crap about, and that's the special teams, the punters, kickers, and long snappers. Surprisingly, there were more long snappers taken in this draft than there were punters and kickers, and I think there was only one punter – Taking this draft, and it was a guy that you didn't value very high. Talk to me about that. No. Bradley Pinion, who actually came out early. The fact that you don't see a lot of punters declaring early. I think the last time that happened was Brad Wayne, the Australian, when he came out of LSU. He uh, is actually playing on an NFL roster now, but he spent a couple years basically not uh, punting regularly. So, no Pinion. I, I was just I was just shocked. And to, matter of fact, Kyle Loomis has not been signed. And to me, I said uh, if anyone was going to get drafted, I thought it was going to be Kyle Loomis with the top punter at Portland State and uh, Justin Manson, probably the best place kicker. Uh, the, the place kickers to me next year, it's going to be loaded. We could see three or four actually go. But uh, Tom Obarski out of uh, Minnesota Concord, as well as um, uh, Manson out of Louisiana Monroe. Now, Pierre has actually signed free agent deals. I believe one is with the Ravens and one is with the Bengals. They're both in the SC North. But I was I was very surprised. I thought more punters would go than kickers, and that that was not the case linking undrafted free uh, agent signings. But also, kudos to the Seattle Seahawks for the signing of Nate Boyer. Of course, there was a lot made of his story. Uh, the former Green Beret, the 34-year-old who never missed on a snap at the University of Texas, and even though he's 34 years old, he's getting his chance. Uh, hopefully it's able to pan out in some capacity, even if he's not a player, probably someone that you can give a football organizational job or is just going to, just his mere presence around people is going to help. And of course it helps that his last name is Boyer. Wish I could say that he was related, but unfortunately I've not been able to trace any ancestral roots there. He's your brother from another mother. He must be. <laughs> well, I, you know, I like some of the kickers. I actually thought uh, Kyle Brinsler from Notre Dame or Ross Krautman from Syracuse would get drafted and, and Kyle Christie, if I'm not mistaken, he's related to the Christie of the Buffalo Bills. Is that right? Yes. And, and another kicker that I really liked, um, uh, he got signed, I believe it was, by Chicago. And Jeremiah Denton, I wanted to say Trotter. I think I had Eagles on the brain there. And I'm like, wrong uh, Eagle player. Could have thought Coy or Ty and not Jeremiah Trotter. Yeah, Jeremiah Detmer uh, out of, out of uh, Toledo, I thought, was one of the best uh, kickers as well. Very, very small, but uh, he's got a pretty good leg. And I think uh, one of the better, me, was one of the better kickoff artists. And it always just surprised me when I would watch him because he's just so small. And, man, he can just pack a punch. I mean, inch for inch and pound for pound. He'd be the strongest kicker I've ever seen. A little bit of problems with some accuracy and battled a sports, a sports hernia over part, actually parts over his last two years. Actually had two occurrences with uh, – with sports hernias, but, uh, you know, I think has, has all the talent. I believe he went to Chicago. He's another guy who I think has a chance at some point. Anything else from this draft that you'd like to touch upon? I think just probably the Leo Collins situation is something we haven't talked about and very unfortunate. One, 
I am glad, even though can't really say too much how bad you feel for him just because we really don't know if there was any involvement and in, in what's going on in the legal ramifications. But I am glad that the NFL had said no, that he was not able to enter the supplemental draft, because I think if they did, even though it's an unfortunate situation and he could be totally innocent and have nothing to do with this, I think the NFL was looking at uh, a lot of these being opened up and, and a lot of potential situations down the road, and it's kind of like the NCAA when you're ruling on eligibility, and I think it would have become very, very messy. So I'm glad he was denied there. Now, I'm not quite sure. Now, we've been told that at first the agents, his agent was telling teams that if he lasted the third day, he wasn't going to sign, and he was going to enter the draft next year. Um, and now he's been told that that cannot happen. So I'm, I'm hoping that maybe something like that can be investigated in the future, but again, I don't know if that's really going to open up cases for some of the players we talked about that may have been come out of school early, and if they don't get drafted, maybe they think, hey, if I kind of stick it out and uh, maybe do something, maybe not go back to school, but or, or maybe go back to school where it's not at the same school, or maybe I can get an education and still kind of work out. I don't know what the feasibility of that is, but it's just a very, very unfortunate situation. The timing just could not have been worse for a guy that, we were saying was on the rise, and I expected to be picked probably in the 15 to 25 range. To, to me, there was no doubt that was a first-round pick. Uh, but I think it's really too early to tell uh, what's going to happen here, and I, I think it's going to take uh, a couple of weeks, maybe even a month or two, to really kind of sort through what the actual situation here, what his involvement is, if any, and the potential long-term effects of this, or if he's totally you know, innocent what kind of teams kind of make a play for him, and if he decides to sign, because now he's been told you can't enter the draft next year. So to me, from a legal standpoint, I think the NFL has to look at this very carefully, because again, if they, if they do this the wrong way, or they could possibly open up a potential of, I wouldn't say lawsuits, but other cases where players are going to be like, well, hey, I want a chance too. So I think they've got to be careful with this one. It's, it's kind of slippery ground and kind of unprecedented territory. DJ, let's go back to the mock for a second. What were some of your biggest regrets of the 2015 NFL mock draft season? I think the only big regret was the fact that I had Dante Fowler for the longest time going to the Jaguars, and I, I did change that on the last day. I did make a number of good changes on the last day, but that, uh, that was one where I had Amari Cooper because I really thought, one, I did think the Titans would take Mariota, but I really thought that they would take him but their, their number one interest was that they were going to trade him in, or, or kind of draft him and hold him ransom. Now, there were enough teams talking about the possibility of moving up that this would kind of be like what San Diego did with, with Eli Manning. Eli Manning made it apparent he did not want to play there. They drafted him anyway and were looking for the best suitor, and they made the deal with the Giants ultimately. I thought the same was kind of going to happen with Mariota. That way... The Titans really controlled everything. Like, look, if we don't get a deal that we think matches up, you know, he can just be our franchise quarterback. But, you know, we're going to listen if the right deal comes along. But the fact that I thought a lot of the buzz about Jacksonville was really them trying to interest teams to get above the Raiders, really kind of make a play, hey, maybe we want Amari Cooper too, getting teams to really think, wow, I think we got to jump in front of Oakland if Amari, Amari Cooper's not going to be there. And, of course, when he wasn't selected at three, got snapped up at number four. So I thought Fowler would be the choice uh, until I really took that trade speculation. So I missed a couple at the top there. And I was really a proponent of the Jaguars kind of trading back and going after Todd Gurley because I thought he'd go top 10. He did. He went 10th. I just didn't think it was the Rams. I thought someone was going to move up. The Dolphins did everything in their power, too. It was just very surprising that the, that the Rams did not take that deal. But, you know, we did make a number of good calls. Um, not listening to the popular opinion and, and really doing the homework and knowing that how Andy Reid was so interested in Marcus Peters. Uh, that was a good call there. A lot of people wanted that wide receiver off the board right away, right away for the Browns. And he said, no, hey, this is a team that finished dead last, stopping the run. I think that if they want Danny Shelton, they have to take him at 12. They can't wait till 19. And that's ultimately what they did. Nelson Aguilar didn't seem to be the pick that a lot of people wanted in Philadelphia, but again, it's not about who we like or who we think is going to be best. You gotta, you gotta watch, watch what's going on. And of course, you know, I do have a couple contacts here and there, but you gotta filter through what's a smoke screen and what's, what's viable. And it became apparent that the Eagles had 
a big interest in Aguilar. And again, I think the similarities between Jeremy Macklin do have something to do with that. But I think in those, yeah, I had a very good mock draft, but a lot of times it's you're picking everything right at the top, and then you know you've got a couple picks here or there. The fact that I didn't get as many near the top as some of the, uh, the other mocks, but I could not find another mock that had more correct picks in the middle in that, like, 9 to 22 range that, that we had. We we absolutely nailed it. I, I think that at one point we were, like, uh, 8 out of 11. It was, I mean, it was just – it was really getting ridiculous um, making those calls there, and I think uh, a lot of people came away impressed, and I think there was some – some good information, and it all started with the Giants as well. Eric Flowers, a lot of people didn't expect that. That's a call we made. Seemed to be a player that the Giants really liked along the offensive line, and ultimately that's the way they went as well. DJ, what were some of the players that you just missed that might have missed your eye that were drafted? Uh, maybe guys that even had even had uh, you know in the mock draft at any point this year. Uh, it was very late, but uh, Oban Guatem, the other uh, defensive end from Oregon State, I just did not see it. He's just a guy that I was just not in love with at any point. And the fact that he, that he got uh, selected was, was kind of surprising. Um, as far as other players, you know, there was a, there was. You know, it's hard to really pinpoint maybe one player that surprised me. There were a couple we didn't have in the database or that I thought was surprised of. Uh, even though I did like overall what the Chiefs did, the fact that Chris Conley went so high, sometimes, you know, Andy gets a little bit enamored with his workout numbers. And Chris Conley, you know, he's a guy that has all the speed in the world, even though he's had a couple of major injuries. I believe it's two knee surgeries, broken collarbone. This didn't seem to stay healthy. But then again, in Georgia, there's so many, so many good pieces there that he just never seemed to get his chance to shine. And the fact that Kansas City liked him enough to take him in the third round when I thought he wasn't going to get drafted, to me that was probably the person that surprised me the most because there were a number of teams, but I thought, again, we see him that wide, wide, and more often than not, you're like, oh, I told you he wasn't going to go that high, but that, that's a guy where, where all the hype was, it was legitimate, and he went even higher than what I thought. I thought if, if he does get drafted at all, uh, sixth round, fifth round is pushing it, he goes in round three. Uh, to me, that was, it was a major reach. But apparently they weren't the only team that were really looking at him. So apparently Kansas City thought that's the time they had to pull the trigger. So to me, that was probably the biggest surprise. Well, DJ, it was a great draft season. You did a phenomenal job. Uh, the whole team did great together. Had a lot of fun. The, the blog, we really built that up. The podcast, this is great. We're going to keep improving it every week, all throughout the year. If you go to draftsite.com, you will see the first 2016 two-round mock draft on the Internet. And I know we were up, you know, a week before the draft. We had this in the publication of USA Today that we published in February. So check it out because you'll be seeing a lot more of that. We'll be coming out with more and more rounds throughout the year, throughout the summer. Uh, stay involved this summer because we're going to do a podcast pretty soon, maybe next week, maybe in a few weeks for the 2016 NFL mock draft, talking about the players that we think might declare who our top players are, and then all throughout training camp. But stay tuned because DJ's Fierce 40 isn't too far away. And if you're fans of the Fierce 40, it's coming at you hard this year. Uh, DJ and I have also discussed a book, which will DJ will be working on this summer, and I'll be trying to edit It'll be stories of the draft as he's seen it through his eyes of the expert. And you're going to see a lot more changes to the website as well. Uh, we are going to be storing all the mock drafts. So from now on, you won't only see the last one, but you'll see all of them. And you'll be able to critique us from January <laughs> if you'd like. Uh, and as far as user mock drafts, you'll be able to do the same. There's some more features that are coming to the site as far as draft needs and more interaction, and we'll keep posting about it if you keep coming. Anything you want to see, tweet, email, call, whatever it is, let us know. We're here for you. And thanks, everyone, for coming throughout the NFL draft season. And stay tuned because we'll be coming back with 2016 very soon. DJ, any last words? I would just say it was a fun year. I'm glad that we were so successful. We made a lot of uh, improvements, and I like a lot of your kind words about things that I or Zach was able to offer, but uh, honestly, to everyone out there, 
none of this gets done without Jared's hard work because he's the glue that puts everything together and holds us together. So um, I could have the most accurate mock drafts out there. I could have all the information you ever need and be 100% right, but without the forums actually do it, uh, my voice is never heard. I'm just uh, a fan like everybody else, just with a little more access. And, you know, that's what really this this site is really geared toward the fans. So make your voice heard when you see something on those mock drafts, whether it be good or bad. Uh, there's a lot of people that I've maintained a correspondence with, and I've gotten some good info. And sometimes with a real good argument, you can swing. Uh, my my word is not the word of God by any, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I have actually changed or even my opinion in, in some of my analysis or a kind of an argument. Sometimes we're uh, two different points of opinion, and sometimes there have been times where people make good points and they're able to swim like, you know what, I can see your side. Hey, point for you. That's really good. But uh, sometimes the best discussion is through, you know, not seeing eye to eye sometimes, but the fact that we do it respectfully and uh, the fact that I think people also need to learn that sometimes we're not always going to be right, but this is not a fly-by-night site. We put a lot of effort into this. We put a lot of time into this. The three of us that are on this podcast, uh, Zach puts a lot of time into it. I do, but uh, Jared probably more than any. Guys, it's going to get even better. Uh, this was a successful year, but we have nowhere to go but up. Well, thank you, DJ, for the kind words, and thank you for all your work this year. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Let's get these listeners up. We're going we're gonna to make the podcasting better this uh, as we go forward. So thanks, everyone, for your support all year long. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Breaks and promises. I've had more than my share. I'm tired of giving my love. Getting no